Welcome back to another episode of Lent in Conversation, our supplemental podcast series in our garden feed, where if you've been following along for the last couple episodes, we spend uh, half the episode looking at the psalm and the prayer practice attached to it. In this case, we'll be looking at Psalm 22. And in the back half of the episode, we talk to a friend in the church or in ministry about a connected or related fruit of the Spirit, in today's case, gentleness. I'm really excited to speak with Josh Lavender. He's a friend of mine from seminary. We're in a cohort together called Sea Rock. And Josh is just one of those people who exemplifies the fruit of the Spirit of gentleness so, so well. So I think you'll be encouraged by that conversation. Uh, in the meantime, a little bit of housekeeping before we begin. Unfortunately, for some reason... Our prayer practice was up on our website on Monday, but it was not published uh, to be linked with our resources page. By the time you're listening to this, that will have been corrected. But if you weren't able to start your week looking at Psalm 22, that's okay. We're going to walk you through what we now have on the site as we get started today. Um, But as we do, if you would join me here with a moment of prayer as we kind of take the posture together of prayer. We're going to pray these words, and this prayer is available in that prayer practice on our site. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Incline my ear to your words, and let your speech come to me as dew upon the grass. If I hear your voice, let me not be condemned for hearing the word and not following it, for knowing it and not loving it, for believing it and not living it. Speak then, Lord, for your servant listens, for you have the words of eternal life. Speak to me to comfort my soul and to change my whole life. In turn, may it give you praise. Amen. We're going to be looking at Psalm 22 today, and we're going to break it up into a few parts and use each of the parts as an invitation to step into specific kinds of prayer. We know that during the Lent season, the focus of prayers is often on prayers of confession or moments of confession in prayer. And you might recognize today's psalm, certainly the first couple verses, as uh, something that Jesus quoted when he was on the cross. Psalm 22 begins, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. As we step into this psalm, we hear in the the words of the psalmist David, words of desperation. And sometimes that feels for us like the kind of confession that seems to diminish faith, It's almost the opposite of faith in our minds to express grief or disappointment or sorrow or heaviness to God. But by quoting these words, Jesus demonstrates that bringing these things to God is not something that works against faith, but something that strengthens it. Because the truth is we all experience some kind of pain in life, Um, maybe not all the time to the degree described here in Psalm 22, but each one of us certainly knows the sting of pain, whether it be physical or emotional or mental uh, or relational. What this psalm is encouraging us to do is to find the courage to search for God in a moment of sincere and desperate prayer. I like what James May says in his commentary in Psalm 22. He says, life and its loss 
are what bind all people in every nation, culture, and time. Everybody faces and finally experiences the threefold loss, which he defines as a physical vitality. Uh, the second being the possibility that family and friends uh, will not be able to sustain and relieve us of pain. And the last one, a conscious relation, he says, to the cosmic power that creates and maintains existence. When we feel uh, loss in that last sense, God feels far. And Jesus demonstrates for us that uh, these three kinds of loss, the, the loss of, of physical strength, the loss of relational strength, and finally, this feeling of separation from God. This is part of being human. Jesus underwent all of these experiences ultimately to death, but because he resurrected, it's a signal to all of us who walk through these things that to bring these to God is something that, that expresses faith, strengthens faith, and is something that we do not in vain, but in hope. And so I would encourage you today, where, wherever you are at, you're certainly carrying things. They might be just visceral experiences of heaviness or loss, or they might be the kind of pain that, that nags at you, that feels like it's in the back of your mind or your heart every day, and moments connected to moments. I, I would encourage you right now in just a, a small time of prayer to find the courage to search for God. If he feels far, just spend a moment asking him, God, would you be near? Where are you? You might ask him, where have you been? But spend a moment to bring that to God. Psalm 22 demonstrates for us that, that sometimes we look at God's character and we look at the context that we're in or the situation that we're in, and it seems to fly in the face of what we know about God's character. As David goes on in this psalm, he talks about the character of God. You're holy, he says. You're enthroned on the praises of Israel. He looks back at God's faithfulness uh, in, for his ancestors who trusted and, and watched God deliver them. He talks about how they cried out and God answered. Then he talks about his own personal history. Uh, even before he was born, he experienced the care of God to develop in, in his mother's womb and, of course, uh, through his birth and beyond. And so what David is doing in this psalm in the midst of his pain is he's looking back at all the things God has done. And he's saying, if you've been this for me, where are you now? Um, for us, God's presence in the past can, can often cast uh, a very contrasting light to what looks or seems to be his absence in our present. And what David is saying is that the way to remember that we have hope now, even where it seems lost, begins with looking back in gratitude, which of course can be difficult in times of sorrow, but through that enter into uh, hope that often gratitude and thanksgiving, when we look back at who God has been, becomes an invitation to hope once again. In other words, God has saved and he can save again. 
Indeed, as the psalmist leads us to understand, he has to save again. If it isn't for God's intervention, um, we, we face a dead end, literally and figuratively, something we can certainly understand in the midst of pain, deep, deep pain. So I would encourage you now, as you spend time, maybe after reading this psalm or reflecting on this part, uh, to recount the faithfulness of God. Even this moment where he might feel far, when you look behind you, recount all the times that you've experienced the faithfulness, the care, and the love of God. One of the things I appreciate about Psalm 22 is that this is not some general kind of grief. You know, I, I led worship for a long time in uh, my career in ministry, and we can often let a feeling of sorrow or heaviness in a general sense take the place of biblical lament. We know that lament in scripture was guided grief. It was a way to bring grief to God, to process it, and ultimately to find hope. And not just alone, that psalms of lament, like Psalm 22, were psalms that were sung together. Meaning that the only way we can truly carry grief is not in a general sense, but where the specifics of the kind of grief that each one of us experiences is brought together in the chorus of God's faithful people. Not people who are always happy or always smiling or, or, or happy clappy. Maybe that's a phrase you've heard or maybe you haven't. Maybe that's for the best. No, people who are smiling simply for the sake of it. No, this is for people who are genuinely seeking after God in the highs and the lows. And sometimes when we're left to ourselves to process, these kind of griefs feel very heavy. Now, in, in a church setting, it can feel like we need to generalize. But one of the things I love about this psalm is how specific David is with all the pictures that he presents of grief. They're vivid. And, and these are, are physical pains, relational, situational pains. He's in mental anguish, spiritual anguish. And all of these things he's bringing before God ahead of a final desperate plea for God's salvation. There is a kind of healing that comes when we get specific about the things that grieve us. And though we don't have control over our circumstances, this is part of what it looks like to set all of our pain in God's hands. And either those hands are caring as he has shown, as he describes to us in his word and confirms in his spirit, or they are callous. Ultimately, we have to come to a place of trust. And here in prayer, we have the invitation to do just that as we name these griefs, as we give them to God. And so I would encourage you to do that, to bring those griefs specifically. Don't generalize your pain, but talk about the things that hurt you, that weigh on you specifically. The things that seem hopeless, name these things before God and pray as the psalmist does.
The psalm concludes uh, in verses 21 to 31 with uh, something that might feel like a time jump. The psalmist has been praying in a situation of heaviness, in the thick of his grief and anguish. And all of a sudden he jumps tenses as he looks to the end of his psalm. It, it seems as though as he's writing everything, almost at the snap of a finger, has been solved. He says, uh, from the horns of the wild oxen, you've rescued me, and I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And now that might seem odd to us. It, it seems like all it took was uh, a couple dozen verses for everything to get cleared up. But again, we have to return to the context of what Psalms are. Like all Psalms, Psalm 22 was written for worship in a gathering of God's people, a dynamic kind of people, each experiencing their own life uh, in places of loss, places of joy, of grief, of experiencing God's provision where he feels close or, or in a desperate searching for him. Now, this Psalm is not an invitation for any of us to skip past our pain or fast forward through the process of dealing with that pain through lament. Instead, the psalmist is providing a picture of God's faithfulness to encourage ours right now. It's like the future is echoing back to the present, even as we had just taken a look at God's faithfulness in the past and received an echo of that. We stand in the middle of two pictures of God's faithfulness. One is God's care for us that we experienced behind us to get us to this point. And the other is to look out ahead at, at God's promises and all the things that he, he will accomplish, that he says he will accomplish. And that when we look behind us, uh, when we get that perspective that widens out of just the present, we have no reason to believe that he can't uh, deliver on these promises. And I love the final line of this psalm. He has done it. It's something that, that we can hear from the future, that, that we know that the, the future is assured. We can hear he has done it. It's something that uh, we say when we look behind us, he has done it. He has done all of these things. We've recounted his goodness. And I love uh, that in a way, it also draws us to this same Jesus on the cross who, who began quoting this Psalm. We also know that he said, it is finished. And that is the thing that he has done. It's because Jesus has died on the cross for us because he's resurrected and brought us eternal life because that has been accomplished. There is no set of circumstances as heavy as uh, situations might be, as deep as wounds might be. There is no situation that could take from us that statement. It is finished. Indeed, he has done it. As you finish your time, I would encourage you to rest on God's promises today, to look ahead at a vision of the kingdom that's coming in fullness, but also as you do that, to hold on to what that kingdom has already brought and an assurance of faith here in your heart. Spend a few minutes of silence, just listening to God speak to you, encouraging you, sitting with you in the midst of pain through these words of Psalm 22 as the Spirit draws them out in your heart.
As you end your time, I would encourage you to pray this prayer with me from St. Augustine. O God, full of compassion, I commit and commend myself to you in whom I am and live and know. Be the goal of my pilgrimage and my rest by the way. Let my soul take refuge from the crowding turmoil of worldly thought beneath the shadow of your wings. Let my heart, this sea of restless waves, find peace in you, O God. Amen. Well, I am really excited today to speak with a good friend of mine, Josh Lavender. I have had the just incredible blessing of knowing Josh for some years now. We met at seminary at the Robert Weber Institute of Worship Studies. We could fill hours of podcasts just talking about experiences from there. (laughs) (laughs) But when uh, when we're thinking about who best just exudes the spirit of gentleness, I, I there's a very, very, very short list of people and of, that I know who do, and Josh is at the top of that. Uh, Josh is a man of many talents and passions and giftings, and he exudes all, all the traits you'd want to see in a friend, a brother, a minister. So this is an honor for me, and uh, I believe it'll be a blessing to all of you as you listen. But I'm going to let Josh uh, introduce himself as we get started. Well, I appreciate that. Man, so many kind words. And um I'm grateful for your uh, friendship, Caleb. And um, yeah, so I'm a worship director in Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, like you said, we we did our master's work actually at similar times at the Institute of Worship Study. And um, I went, kept going and uh, finished the doctorate there and just love, uh, I've served my church in Indianapolis for 10 years now and just uh, absolutely love it. Love worship and get to I work with a lot of worship leaders, and it's just my uh, my joy to do that. It's funny. Uh, I, I think this is true of all ministry, I'm sure, but maybe it it feels more pronounced when working with creatives. But gentleness is really a key part of bridging so many personalities and oh, and perspectives and opinions. And I, I I feel like it's gentleness is always a gift in relationship and ministry, but maybe. With the craziness of worship teams, yeah, you're a worship leader, you know. You know <laughs> I uh, part of part of God's blessing to me is that uh, my wife, who started out in worship ministry with me, she's you know as long as I've been doing this, she's by my side. She's been gentleness for me. So mm-hmm. when we got married, it was like gaining a superpower uh, because I this is this is a fruit of the spirit <laughs> of which I uh, find myself woefully deficient. Uh, often. I, I feel so. <laughs> that often. I feel that often too. Um, so, Josh, the the question that we've uh, typically started with is, uh, when you hear this fruit of the spirit of gentleness, what comes to mind? And that can be, it can be all of these. There's not a, a limit to what you would answer, but it could be an image, uh, maybe a particular verse in scripture, a person in your life, uh, an example, or a story from the Bible. Uh, what comes to mind when you think of the fruit of the spirit of gentleness? You know, it's funny, I've, I'm reading right now through the book of Philippians. And so um, when you asked me that originally, the first thing that came to my mind is the uh, let your gentleness be evident to all from Philippians Uh and just thinking about what that means. But as I've thought about it more, honestly, I feel like the, where my mind is truly drawn is uh, the incarnation 
is just, it really feels like God's gentleness to us to come to us in the way that he did just as a baby. It's kind of a weird, like, why did he do this? You know, he could have mm-hmm. come to us in, in any way. And he comes yeah. with his need up front, you know, mm-hmm. his, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, his gentleness kind of in your face. Yeah. The, the idea of uh, gentleness being a requirement for dealing with weakness, you know, um, I, I think of letting your, your gentleness be evident to all. Right. It's almost like an understanding of all of us in some ways exhibiting weakness right. that we might be uh, gentle with one another, recognizing that we, mm-hmm. we need gentleness as well. Um, I, it's funny uh, you bring up a baby. I remember uh, when, when we had our first many years ago, uh, I was walking in the hallway of our house holding our baby and you're, you, they're so delicate. They're so delicate. And I was walking across the hall very slowly and I bumped the baby's head, Abby, against the wall. And I remember just looking at her like, what have I done? And she just looked at me and kind of smiled. Um, it was, she was fine. And, yeah. uh, but in that moment, it was like, I was so worried about yeah. bra- breaking something, you know? But I think that the, the beauty was that um, it, it, together we're both experiencing a kind of gentleness, even though that I'm I'm supposed to be the dad. Like yeah. there was even a grace in her response to me because yeah. I I'm broken very easily as a dad too. You know, yeah. so yeah. it's kind of an exchange. Um, tell tell me more about that though. The 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 yeah. idea that um, that Jesus would embody uh, weakness to exhibit gentleness. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, one of the things in our community we've been talking about is uh, during Lent, we're we're talking, we're honing kind of in on friendship and relationships, mm-hmm. and uh, we've been talking about how often we approach another person with our strength. Like we want to highlight our strength, and we want to show the things that we're good at, even our like assessments. So our personalities are like our strengths. You know, here's my strength. Here's what I'm good at. Here's, you know, all these things. And we we were saying recently on our staff, like, wouldn't it be funny to have like a personality assessment that says, <laughs> hey, here's my top five like weaknesses, and weakness top five places, right? And it's like, here's my top five places where I need you, you yeah, know, not yeah. where I can do it myself, but where I need everybody else to like come around me and help me. And it's weird that wow. Jesus is presenting himself to humanity as fully in need like that's unbelievable Mm -hmm. as needing to be literally if he's left alone he would die like he's needing to be fed he's needing to be held he's needing to be cared for in every way which is like that is so humbling Mm -hmm. it's funny that you bring up strength finder i was literally talking to my wife about about strength finder yesterday because she was at a teacher's in service and they were comparing them and I've taken it twice in my life and my top five changed uh, somewhat yeah. both times. Yeah. And I think that's because my weakness probably changed <laughs> both times because in yeah. a job change, it's it's exposing. So totally. I think that the dynamics of life expose those weaknesses. And I think when I think of, of the gentleness of God, um, I think it's on display by caring for for our weakness, and so it, it's it's beautiful that Jesus comes on the other side of it to yeah. to demonstrate for us what it looks like 
to be human and walk in weakness and, and yeah. trust the father's will. So I think that's, that's mm. very profound, very profound. Um, the second question, and uh, may, you can answer this, of course, uh, just as a human, uh, you can answer it as a minister. You can yeah. also answer it as a, as a newlywed. Uh, how, has, <laughs> yeah. how has the fruit uh, of gentleness been manifested or wrestled with in your life? Maybe both. We could, we could look at both. Honestly, this is funny because one of my goals this past year, just this doesn't even directly relate to ministry, more just being um, almost functioning in a workplace. Our meeting culture at um, in our community can be like high octane, like intense, like people are just jumping in with lots of ideas. And it has been a goal for me just this past year because um, I can be really not, you know, gentle, not aware of other people um, to be gentle in my communication. Mm. So I'd say I'm really like I'm I've been wrestling with that lately. How do I in conversation, even in meetings in our community, um, give preference to other people, um, say what I'm thinking in a way where it's really honoring to other people um, mm. and it would part of it was really like summarized for me and and uh kind of came to a head for me when uh a person i really love jd walt he was mm. uh, we were in a meeting together and he just made this really profound statement he said there are people who are kind of exhibiting fear and scarcity which mm. we hear about that all the time but then he said this and i don't think i've ever heard this He's like, there are also people exhibiting boldness and urgency. Mm. He said, but what we need to exhibit is the abundance of the kingdom. Ooh, and wow. I was like, oh my goodness, I've always heard, like, we shouldn't have fear and scarcity. We should be bold and, you know, move mm -hmm. forward. But the, the recognition that it is equally as bad to be like, now, it has to happen now, let's go. That instead, there is this middle ground where we can just truly say, like, God, I trust your pace. I mm -hmm. trust that you're providing steps in front of me. And that actually enables us to be calm and to yes. be gentle. Like, that was kind of a game changer for me. Yeah, I think that uh, it, William Cavanaugh has a book called Field Hospital. And he talks about, like, the best image for the church is – um, you know, in wartime, they would set up a, a hospital yeah. in the battlefield and uh, to, to treat to treat the wounded. And there's a sense of both things like urgency and an understanding of what scarcity is. Yes. But but all of it is dependent on on the provision at hand. And if you if you're panicked, it affects care. Um, you know, it, it, I, I almost feel like there's a there's a an understanding in what you just said, implicit in that, that gentleness exists with a kind of pace. Yes. Like I, you can't, and you, you get this with children, you know, the, the incar incarnation is a great example, uh, of course, but you can't rush a, a child into, uh, especially a baby into calmness totally. as much as you want to. Mm -hmm. I have a four soon to be five-year-old. I would love to mm -hmm. establish the pace of the, calming from the meltdown and I can't you know uh, and in in fact I I have found that my gentleness can become contagious yes. um, and, and but I can't exude that if I'm in a pace of life 
that prevents it. I think that's yeah. really sweet because gentleness yeah. is not the antithesis of, of boldness by any means. Right. I think I think to be gentle is to be bold. Right. Um, there's a story that comes to mind. I, I think it was JFK who uh, his uh, young children would you know walk around the White House, made, made themselves at home. And uh, he was in a meeting uh, with, you know, very important people. Uh, his presidency was obviously during a pretty uh, chaotic and, and yeah. difficult period. And one of his kids walked in and he he kind of didn't blow the person he was talking to off, but basically just paused it to see what his son needed. And it was one of those like, I mean, this is possibly the fate of the free world at stake in the middle of a meeting and during this time. But it was like, well, I, I, I'm going to be gentle with yes. with my son i think that's really there's a sweetness to that um and 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 it's difficult i i mean i i'm, I'm interested too you're you're also a a very talented songwriter uh and you you not only have written amazing songs you've taught people how to write songs really well and kind of stewarded that those gifts uh with people but when we're talking about pace like that there's a, a corporate sense of that as well that we can help shape in people um, what does that look like in your songwriting or ministry? Man, I, I think my um, a big story for me happened last year, actually at the Asbury Asbury outpouring. Mm. Um, so yeah. I was there for five days, just experiencing what was going on, and one just profound recognition for me was the pace that was happening in the room around me was different from my internal pace. My wow. internal pace was kind of like, I don't know, fluttery almost and a little anxious. And I could feel and sense the pace of the room was just so slow, like so patient, so gentle, mm -hmm. humble. And I had like a really sweet moment with the Lord where I really did just confess that, like just got honest, yeah. like God, I, I feel like I'm... I'm just carrying anxiety in a speed that you want me to let go of. And truly, I felt that go away, like mm -hmm, a mm -hmm. rushing, a hurry, an urgency. And I was really able to lay that down. So I guess for me, that carried over into how I lead worship. That carried over to like even Sunday mornings, wanting to lead in such a way where I'm able to personally just be calm and just mm -hmm. say, like you're saying, like, like if, if your kid comes up, you're able to um, be present in the moment and not thinking I've got to hurry this up. I've got to go to the next thing. I've got to um, yeah, move quickly or rush. And that's hard. Uh, it's hard in the planning. It's hard in the facilitating. Uh, all those can be challenging, I think. Um, and not just in ministry, I think when you're attending, you know, like our, our totally. I feel like our flesh, our, our culture is to treat time like an incredibly scarce resource. And so everything has to fit into it or yeah. uh, our schedules or around them, you know, yeah. and the beauty of, and you experience this, you know, in ways that, that few get to at Asbury that um, where the spirit of the Lord moves, um, yeah. we, there's such a, an understanding of, of who is actually in control and Absolutely. it's freeing, it's freeing. And yeah. I, yeah. And, and I don't, and that's not only the case in, in a setting like that, that totally. that's, that's the, 
I think those settings reveal the, the reality that, that we're meant to walk out into. Sometimes services can feel to me like when they start, the train's just going, you know, and mm -hmm. it's just it's moving. And that was a moment of recognition that to just stop the train, you know, mm -hmm. and be like there is no rush in this space. We're looking at Jesus and he is wanting us to really recognize the the power and provision of God in such a way where we really believe and experience he's going to take care of me. He's going to mm -hmm. lay the next step for me. I don't have to, you know, claw for that. Mm -hmm. um, I, this third question is is kind of in line with what we're talking about. Um, I think the pace thing is interesting, uh, especially what you said about boldness. I think, uh, that, you know, the boldness and the, the scarcity, kind of gentleness being what holds both of those things uh, in tension together. Uh, but what, what other misconceptions do you think people might have about gentleness? Um, and it could be from your own experience as well. I mean, we're not doing yeah. that. Well, some people think, or <laughs> a, a friend of mine wants to know if, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think my experience of it, even from that moment on in this past year, has been realizing that being gentle and truly being being humble doesn't mean you can't be clear. And it doesn't mean that you can't speak your mind. So like, you, the ability to still say with confidence, you know, I, I think the Lord is saying this, or I think mm. God is leading in this direction or something like that. Um, but being able to do it from a place of calm and from a place of honoring other people is, is really, um, you might think that gentleness is like, well, you can't say much, you know, or you need to just be in the background or, um, uh, meekness can come to sometimes be yeah. as in that way is like, you know, you can't have strong opinions. So I, I guess I feel that that's a, probably a misconception for me has been knowing that you can really be confident and, and not use it in a way that's overpowering people. Yeah. I, I think you, you have exhibited that very well. I mean, you're Dr. Lavender, you certainly like have so much, especially when it comes to matters of of theology and liturgy, you you have so much knowledge and experience in ministry, um, and yet at no point in conversations have you ever used that as a, a means to pull people down or speak down a certain way. I really I, I have admired that in conversation, but it it's not the absence of convictions or opinions or or perspectives or thoughts. It's the the willingness to wait on the spirit for the windows to express those things. And I, I think at the end of the day, like when I think of gentleness, I think of, of people who have accepted the sensitivity that comes with the, the life of the spirit mm -hmm. and not just like our sensitivity. We, we experience the gentleness of God in our woundedness, right. whether it's uh, self-inflicted through our sin or, or it's something we experience in the, the, you know, the, the way the world wounds. Yeah. Or our circumstances uh, might we experience uh, just like, you know, um, the, the Good Samaritan. We experience the gentleness when we're when we're in a hurt state, the father at the top of the hill waiting for the prodigal. And so where we're able to to express the gentleness we have received from God is when we're sensitive uh, yeah. to the wounds around us. And that that's not the opposite of strength. Like you said, right. it's actually 
it's actually stewarding strength very well. Absolutely. Um, for for the people who need it most, you know, it, 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 I the pace concept is so fascinating to me. Um, yeah. I, I you know, can you imagine going into a doctor's office and you feel bad and you're trying to figure out and your doctor is more panicked than you are? I think you know, and his bedside manner is terrible. Like it, it's it actually makes the situation so much worse. Yeah, it's that uh, non-anxious presence. Jesus is that ultimate non-anxious mm. presence coming into the world and makes me think of uh, proverbs 15 the a gentle answer turns away wrath that's yes. so practical yes because harsh words stir up anger is if, if someone is upset and you respond with that you know high intensity you know right back it stirs it up but if someone is upset and you can respond with this gentleness this slow pace this non-anxious response it turns it away it changes absolutely it. you you uh, helped me segue wise uh, into what do you think um are some practical ways that people can uh, steward the the fruit of and really cultivate the fruit of gentleness in their lives yeah i think honestly uh my experience of it is has been just the um it's uh the uh what's comer's book um the ruthless elimination of crime. yes uh really that has been the most practical um i guess it uh, experience for me is to find those moments in my day where i can slow down so i like to begin my day that way to to um experience silence for like 20 minutes and just be able to let my mind and my heart um get to the pace i call it the pace of the holy spirit it's yeah, like i yeah. want to take your pace and listen for you and um yeah so to be able to find those uh, spaces that are just truly slow mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are those um are those primarily contemplative or uh are they relational as well like with other people i think uh, i have people in my life who who invite me to gentleness? Totally. You know, um, yeah. I, I mean, is is that some? You're one. You're one of those people. I think every time we talk, <laughs> appreciate uh, that to me. But um, is is that something you've seen cultivated as well? Like, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's this interesting thing. Like, like Asbury invited me into gentleness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Invited me into a slowing where I could recognize God's control and and live out of that knowledge and that experience. Um, so yeah, I mean, people can for sure do it. It makes me think of um, kind of like when you think of um, the concept of holy. Mm -hmm. If if everything at all times is is holy, it's hard to learn what holiness is like. But yeah. when something is set apart to that, um, we can start to recognize it in more places. So whether it's a mm -hmm. group friends who are cultivating it together, which is amazing, like, you know, band accountability or yeah. a, a worshiping community, or whether it is contemplation, just taking space to be with God. Somehow there, there have to be these spaces where we're saying intentionally, God, slow me down, mm -hmm. you know, slow us down and let us find a new pace. Yeah. 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 There's a, there's a, a radical nature to gentleness that I think you when you hear the word gentle um in a hardened world full of wounded people it really is a yeah. radical thing to, to be true. treated gently and to treat others gently 
Yeah. Uh, Josh, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. Um, I am again, as I said at the top of the of this portion of the podcast, just I'm just so blessed to to be your friend for so many reasons, but you exemplify gentleness so well. And so uh, I know you'll continue to do that. Josh, is uh, is there anything you'd like to uh, plug? Is there anything you're working on that you you want people to know about? I just say I appreciate you a ton, and I'm so proud of the community that you're building and and what you have there. So anybody who's listening to this, Caleb is the man. <laughs> what a what an amazing place you get. To be. Man, thank you, Josh, and uh, we'll we'll keep this combo going. Thank you uh, for your time, and for those of you listening. Uh, We're continuing to pray with you as we journey together uh, during Lent towards Easter. We're praying for you and we will see you soon.